Would you unite with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this morning for the privilege of bringing your word to your people. Father, your word says that if you would utter what is precious and not what is worthless, that you would be as our mouth. So my prayer this morning, Lord, is that everything and anything of my own opinion, Father, would be put aside, the greatness of your truth in your word, and that it would empower, Lord God, those that are here this morning, anticipating something from you, Lord. I pray, Father, that your word would go forth and strengthen us, correct us, in the areas that we need correct us, correction and encourage us, Father, and bring us closer to your, your loving ways. I thank you, Lord, and I ask that your anointing would be released upon your people this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a great verse. John 12, 24 is the text that the Holy Spirit had been impressing upon me uh, to preach on this morning. John 12, 24 is the verse that we had seen in this short passage. And let me tell you that John 12, 24 is a verse that has been with me personally my whole life. It is the word that has mentored me, that has corrected me, that has spoken to me my whole life. I can't tell you how many occasions there has been where I was involved in something and maybe on a billboard, or maybe on a clock, or maybe in a conversation, but John 12, 24 would be the word, or the address, I should say, of the word of God that would continually speak to me. And I would hope that you yourselves would have a word for your life, that you would go before the Lord and ask him for a specific scripture or a parable or something out of the word of God that would mentor to you regarding your walk with him. It is so important. Do you know we serve a talking God? We serve a speaking God. God is always trying to get something to us. Amen? Look at this scripture with me. This is a prelude to uh, the teaching, but Deuteronomy 29.29. Let's look at that real quickly, and this will support why I say that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. So what God is saying there, that his word, even though it, it is hidden, because we realize that God doesn't just reveal himself to anyone. God just doesn't make himself known. And the intimate things about himself and his will, and definitely his will for us, um, what happens is it is clothed, it is, it is hidden. Jesus always spoke in parables. I mean, a lot of us know that already. But what happens is the word of God says that the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So there are certain things in Christianity that you can be taught but more important, there are certain things that you can catch. So there are certain things that are caught, and there are certain things that are taught. And the things that are caught are the things that God personally instills in your life that mentor to you. And, you know, Jesus came as the Word. And the Word is always trying to get His Word to us. Why? Because He loves us. 
He loves us, and he wants to mentor us. He wants us to be strengthened. He wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to be corrected. Amen? I believe that we have the propensity to take for granted that we, of all the people on this planet, have the opportunity to understand God's Word, His will, and His nature. Now, what does that mean? Maybe that sounds a little convicting, or maybe it doesn't, I don't mean it to sound uh, uh, derogatory, but the truth of the matter is that of all the people on the planet, we have the opportunity to really understand God's will, His Word, His plan, not only for us, but for other people. And I think the propensity, and what does that word mean? That word means the behavior, the bent, to take it for granted, to take it for granted. I know, unfortunately, I have on occasions taken God's word for granted. And God doesn't want us to take his word for granted. He wants us to be devoted to his word so that he can get what he needs to us and through us to be able to empower us and to help us to live the lives that he has called us to. He has a life of fullness for us. But we need to make some hard decisions. And that's why some of the things that Jesus spoke on, and definitely this verse in John 12, 24, if you bring that back up, I'd appreciate it, is not an easy verse. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. That's not a very popular subject, is it, in the 20th century when, you know, the majority of the, the, the information that's coming across is grab all the gusto that you can. Me first, everybody else second, you know. So Jesus, in his great love for us, wants to get us the instruction that we need, but there is a cost to be paid. Amen? There is a cost to be paid. The good news is that Jesus has left us his spirit in order to empower us to correct our mistakes, to right our path, and to have the power to follow his correction. Look at me at, look at, I know you're looking at me already, but look with me at Romans 8.11. I have that for us on the screen. Romans 8.11. But, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What's the point? The point is that there are areas of our lives that we need correction. There are areas of our lives that we make decision, need to make decisions that are difficult. But yet, God has empowered us with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in order to be able to help us to make those choices and, in fact, carry those choices out. John 12, 24, would you bring that up again? Let's look at this statement. Jesus' statement in the Gospel of John. And not only what Jesus said and how he presented it, 
because that's important. Jesus talked to different audiences in the Scriptures for different reasons. How he presented this and, how, and why and why is it so specifically important for us, this word, not only today, but for the rest of our lives? It's a tough verse. It's a difficult verse. Like I said earlier, it's not a very popular subject when we're talking about dying, sacrifice, uh, foregoing. But yet, Jesus has given us the ability to make the choice that we need because there is a greater benefit and a greater goal. Let me begin by saying this. There, there are a significant amount of elements that are so much different in the Gospel of John than in the other Gospels, which really strengthen what Jesus was saying here. This is a version... I really, this is the New King James Version. I like another version, like the Revised Standard Version, which Jesus uses the terms, truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you. He said that actually many, many times in the Gospel of John. And that is significant. We hear my glasses clicking on there all the time, right? I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that. Let me begin by... The fact is that John's gospel identifies Jesus' existence, first of all. It's different than the other gospels because it starts out with an understanding or let's say an a exposition of Jesus as being with the Father from the beginning. If you look at the other gospels, the other synoptics, what happens is there's a, chrono, a chronological um, order of Jesus' birth, where he came from, um, what his lineage was, and all that. But now in the Gospel of John, it's, it's different. It's a totally different Gospel. And the elements of the Gospel are very different. They all begin, like I said, the other Gospels begin with the fact that, you know, Jesus was physically born, and they identify the fact that he was baptized, and other specific events, which are not available to us in the Gospel of John. But the important thing is that all the Gospels taken together give us a total, complete picture of Jesus, who He is, and how He is with us. And I love this about this particular Gospel, is that many of the times that Jesus spoke His Word, He would use that term, truly, 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 truly. Actually, 25 times in the Gospel of John. Now, the word truly is actually a, it is a translation of a Greek word, which is actually a translation of an Aramaic word, which, you know, is Hebrew. The Hebrew spoke Aramaic. And it actually means the word amen. Amen. We've heard that word before. So Jesus was saying, amen, amen, or truly, truly. And the meaning of that word, amen, is so be it. So be it. Now, 
Back in the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus said an extremely important, truly, truly. And that was when he was having a conversation with Nicodemus. Remember that? Nicodemus, a Jew's Jew, ruler, understood the law, comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, cannot see the kingdom of God. Further on, he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it progresses through the Gospels. And many, many times, Jesus says, truly, 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 I say to you, he who hears my word and does the will of the Father will have eternal life. So, 25 different times, Jesus uses this terminology, truly, truly. What should that impress upon us? The fact that all of Jesus' words are important. Jesus said that he came to speak not his own word, but the word that he had heard from the Father. But he wanted us to be able to identify that these areas were so much more in need of our attention than some of the other words. Of course, all of, all of Jesus' words are important. But let's take, for example, all, uh, many of us here have been in a court, right? We're, we're all sitting in a courtroom. What happens is the bailiff comes out, and what happens is he stands up and he goes, Hear ye, hear ye. The honorable so-and-so judge, and what happens is with that introduction, the judge comes into the chamber. He has gotten our attention with those words. Or maybe you've been at a wedding. Somebody taps on the microphone. Excuse me, excuse me. You know? Or they you know, hit the glass a few times. Excuse me. Let me get your attention. Right? Paul Revere. He rode through the New England countryside. The British are coming. The British are coming. The British are coming. Why? Because he needed to get people's attention. Their lives were at stake. Their country is at stake. Jesus is looking to get our attention when he says, truly, 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 I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. I love the way that God speaks to us in the Scriptures because the Bible says that God speaks in one way and in two, yet man does not perceive it. What does that mean? That God speaks to us in a language that makes use of all of His creation. The physical creation is what He's set up as His alphabet, so to speak, in order to be able to get His Word, His principles, the unseen to a, a world that relies on the seen. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? Look, Jesus spoke in parables all the time. And the disciples came to him and said, Lord, you know, why? He said, well, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. And many, many times, Jesus would have to break down those parables and explain to his disciples privately 
the meaning of those very words, even though they understood the concepts in the human sense. Jesus always spoke um, in figures and allegories. He calls us sheep. Now, we're not sheep. We're not, but the Bible says that we are the sheep of his pasture. The Bible also says, my sheep hear my voice, and I call them out by name. His word says, enter by the door, and those who do will be saved, and go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus spoke in allegories and in parables all the time. But what we need to do is we need to drill down. We need to, to, to open up the word of God and understand what is God getting at in his word. What does he really mean? Or do we want to just look at God's word from a totally topical view? And if we do, we're not going to get what God's intention is for us. And therefore, the new creation inside of us is not going to get the nourishment that we need because the new creation inside of us is fed by the hidden word of God, by the manna, so to speak, which comes from God. We have been privileged in order to be able to understand what God has hidden, the scripture says, since the foundations of the world and is now revealed through his son. So, truly, truly, is such an important means of getting my attention. Right? Many, many times Jesus has said through this scripture, truly, truly, Pastor John, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Hmm. The Lord knows that we have many distractions in our lives. Scripture says all we like sheep have gone astray. He knows that there are a lot of things running through our minds. There's a lot of things vying for our attention. And that we are made up of different parts. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. And our souls are loud talkers. You know, our souls are the ones that always want the attention within us. But it is our spirits within us that are going to be the parts of us that go to be with the Lord. And it is that part in which we need to consider in our own walk with Jesus and be strengthened. Otherwise, what will happen is our spirits will be weak and beggarly and at the mercy of not only our souls, but at the mercy of every whim which comes by through our minds and through our emotions. So we need to strengthen our spirits through the Word of God. Jesus is very kind. He's understanding in making this kind of a proclamation. Truly, truly. I mean, many, many times... Jesus would repeat and go over what he taught in order for us, in order for his disciples to be able to get, latch on, 
to His Word. As a means of setting the stage for this particular verse, which I want to get to in a minute, I want us to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. Where did Jesus, where was Jesus at? What was the setting when He finally said this verse? Truly, truly, I say to you. What led up to that? Can you put that up on the screen? John 12, 12 through 16. There we go. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. So now, what is the setting? The setting is, prior to Jesus' passion and death on the cross, He had come into Jerusalem. He had spent some time in Bethany with dear friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, whom He had risen from the dead. Interestingly enough, six days, six days prior to Jesus' passion and death, he spent in Bethany. Interesting that the scripture and also many Hebrew scholars um, note that Bethany, in the Hebrew, Beth means house of, and many scholars believe that The term Bethany means house of obedience. So six days prior to Jesus' passion and death, here he is in a place of obedience. The house of obedience. With his dear friends who are giving a dinner in his honor. What happens is Jesus moves from that house and is now entering into Jerusalem. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the celebration of the feast of the Passover. The Passover was the commemoration of the most significant event in the history of Israel. Where God intervened to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage. We know the story. The story of the Passover is Exodus 11 and 12. And it reminds us that God told the Israelites to sacrifice a spotless lamb and paint the blood of that lamb on the side posts and the lintel of the doorpost as a sign of faith so that the death angel that came to dispense the judgment would, of the tenth plague would move over that house. On that day, Jesus entered Jerusalem. The people laid down their cloaks and palm branches Because they thought that Jesus was going to be the Savior who they had been waiting for. The Savior who would save them in a worldly sense from the cruel hand of the Roman Empire. 
and its tyranny. Little did they know that Jesus wasn't concerned about their physical bondage to Rome, but that their spiritual bondage, and that bondage is the bondage of sin. They didn't realize that Jesus had come to be the sacrificial lamb for all people, so if by faith anyone would receive his grace, then the atoning blood of Jesus would be applied to the doorposts of their lives so that the death angel would pass over them. On the heels of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, an interesting exchange takes place. Some Greeks come into town for the feast, and they approach Philip in the hope of getting a private meeting with Jesus and access him and ask him about his teaching, ask him, inquire of him about the miracles that he has done. And what happens is it is at this very point in time that this triggers the statement in John 12, 23, if you would put that up on the screen. John 12, 23. There we go. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he follows up with, most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It was at this point that Jesus had recognized that his word and his gospel would start to be spread out throughout the whole world. Here were Jews, not only the Jews. Now, Jesus only came for the lost sheep of Israel, but his word was going out, and now Greeks, devout Greeks, were hearing of the salvation message and seeing and, and being told of the amazing miracles and power. Now, Jesus had already been glorified in the words and in the works which he were doing, which he was doing. Why he said, if you do not believe me, then believe the works that I do, that I come from the Father. So there was a degree of glory that Jesus was due because of the amazing words in which he spoke and also the amazing works in which he performed. The Pharisees said, never has it been that a man who was born blind was able to be, to see. So there was a degree of glory, but now Jesus is saying, and John is identifying, that the glory that would be revealed would come through his passion and his death. The greater glory, the greater glory. And you know what? That's important for us because there's a greater glory in death than there is in life. There's a greater glory in death than in life. I mean, we can experience all of God's blessings and His benefit here on earth to the degree that we can, that we can benefit from it in the human sense, in the physical sense. But the truth of the matter is 
that we are going to experience God's fullness, his glory for us when? When we enter into eternal life to be with the Lord. And we are changed to a glorified state in which there will be no suffering, no tear. Scripture says what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man conceived what God has in store for those who love Him. Let's get to the crux of the verse. Let's get to the meaning. Let's get to the real deal about the Scripture. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat. And now here He is talking to the, a culture that really understands what this is all about. I had no idea when I became a Christian, really, how this worked. You know? If I wanted cereal, I would go to ShopRite and get, you know, a box off of the shelf, you know, and open it up, and I assumed they took care of it in the factory. But the process is important. And the process of God's Word and understanding His Word for us is important. Paul said it's not the spiritual which comes first, but the physical and then the spiritual. And if you really want to benefit from God's Word, then you need to drill down on what He's saying in His entirety and take it and glean from it the truth of the gospel message, the truth of the spiritual implication so that you may grow on the inside. Now, how does this thing about wheat work? Well, the wheat, we realize that wheat was an important part of the culture of Israel. I mean, that was their substance. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a common term, you know, um, the bread of life, or the breadwinner. And that bread is really used for strength. So what is, what is this process all about? What happens with a grain of wheat? Well, what happens is you have a kernel of wheat. And that kernel, interestingly enough, is made up of different compartments. On the inside actually is a seed. On the outside is a harder shell. And... As the seed is there, outside of the environment of the earth, it's dormant. It's dormant. It's not really living. It's not really creating the purpose for which it is intended. And you know what? Interestingly enough, what happens is all seeds die. What does that mean? Whether a seed has the good fortune of work falling into the earth and working its way into the soil and therefore dying in that fashion or remaining on top of the soil and never reaching its full potential, both those seeds die. Because the seed that is on the top of the soil eventually will wither and die and lose its propensity, its ability to be able to bear fruit. So that's important for us. So Jesus says that this grain of wheat, and, of, and if, of course, this is a reference, of course, to himself and the very closely impending death that he would have to suffer, that he would have to be that very first grain of wheat that would fall into the earth and die for the benefit of of all of us. Amen? Jesus was the very first grain of wheat. 
But we are grains of wheat also. Because a servant is no greater than his master. So there is that part in us that also needs to die. And interesting, the germination of the plant begins when the seed is planted. It's that process in which a seed moves from that dormancy to a growing, living plant. Amazingly, every seed contains within itself an embryo and all the nutrients that it needs to grow from the cycle of small sibling or a small seedling, excuse me, not sibling, seedling is the word, (laughs) until it becomes a full-grown plant and then it's able to reproduce. When the dormant seed is planted in good soil or good earth, the germination switch turns on. Boom. And the seed begins to take in water and oxygen, causing the seed to begin to expand and breaks the seed's outer cover and springs forth, pushing through. That seed, that tiny little pod bursts, and what happens is it gains the energy that's needed to push through the soil where photosynthesis takes over. That's that process in which what happens is sunlight and water nourish the plant and turn it into food and energy. And then it is nourished from there on in and starts on its growth cycle and to that point where it accomplishes regeneration of itself by producing other seeds. Jesus, of course, was that very first kernel of wheat that fell into the earth and died that we may live And now, you and I are faced with the same decision. Jesus said that he saw the fruit of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. What does that mean? That he saw the fruit of the travail of his soul. Now, travail is a word that's that's used a lot in childbirth. A woman is in travail before childbirth. And Jesus was giving birth to something very, very important that would have to continue throughout the ages and really would be the, his means of regenerating his spirit. What was that birth that Jesus was in travail for? And who were those that he saw and was satisfied that he would have to go through that suffering. Well, brothers and sisters, that's you and I. He saw who he died for. He saw the fruit. He saw Grace Church of North Brunswick. He saw the fruit of the travail of his soul. All the believers throughout the history of the ages who genuinely embrace Jesus, who are born again and love him and pursue him and his will. He saw the fruit as the very first grain that fell into the earth and died. And now it's up to us to follow in the same way so that we may bear fruit. But Jesus understood his purpose because his blood was actually shed in a way that physically went into a physical earth. But that's not the case for us. What is this thing that 
Scripture makes note of that we need to understand what is this earth? If Jesus was the very first colonel and we are colonels thereafter, what did Jesus die for? What was the fruit of the travail of his soul? And what is it that we should die for and through in order to be able to bring forth fruit also? Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and those that dwell therein. And God makes a difference there, a differential, a, 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 a decision to identify that the earth is different than the world. In your mind's eye, when we say the word earth, there's something that comes up, you think of. If I say the word earth, you know, many times when I'm teaching, I ask people, what do you think of when I say the word earth? Well, they say, well, I think of mountains and I think of streams and I think of the way, you know, this earth is. I I see that ball, that picture that comes from outer space or that beautiful green lush planet. And that is what God had intended. The earth is the Lord's. Now the world, when you think of the word world, what happens is that conjures up a totally different idea. The world is the society. The world is the people. The world is the problem. The world is the hustle and the bustle. The world is, you know, the way it has become. God started it out as the earth in its fullness. And truthfully, it does belong to Him. And the earth really is the best, you know, in terms of the kingdom that God put into notion. If we left this planet and the earth restored back to its original state, you wouldn't have to worry about air pollution. There would be no water pollution. There wouldn't be all types of pollution. We have taken it. The scripture says, the earth lies polluted under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws. They have violated the everlasting covenant. So what is this term, the earth, from a figurative? What is it that we need to die to and through in order to be able to bring forth fruit? Well, the truth is that the very best thing that there is on the planet in which Jesus works through is right here. The earth is the church. The earth is the church. Because it is in and through the church that Jesus has given us the means to be able to find purpose, to be able to find fellowship, to be able to bear fruit. A seed by itself, a seed by itself remains alone. It remains alone. But a seed that dies and falls into the earth and finds its place and its purpose in God's plan, and God's plan is His church will bring forth fruit. So Jesus was trying to get to us the message that we need to embrace, and we need to find our purpose and our plan and our meaning in our church, in serving Jesus and each other in this church, in a church. Well, we're all here in this building and God has called us 
to this work, to this place, to this region, and we are called to make this place fruitful, to bear fruit. Amen? What could be closer to the original design that God has established for the physical kingdom than the earth? His word says that when he comes back, he is going to be looking for a bride who is decked and adorned, waiting for him. And I would dare to say that, that laterally, that what happens is in terms of the figures that Jesus uses uh, with the earth, he wants to find an earth that is fruitful, a fruitful earth, an earth that is bearing as much fruit as it possibly can in every means that it can. And what does that mean for us? Well, the next scripture in John 12, 24, and tw- I mean 25, Jesus identifies this. He says, listen, he said, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it for eternal life. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, and you have it forget, forever, real and eternal, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve At a moment's notice, the Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. The teaching on dying to yourself is not an easy one. It's a decision that each and every one of us are confronted with as we draw closer to Jesus in our walk with him. But Jesus has given us the power and the ability, and he's given us a great means in which to be able to use our abilities and our talents in this thing that he has established called the church. And so many believers just want to remain alone. It is such a hard decision to fall into and die. Because you know what? It takes love. It takes loving others. It takes a decision on our parts, to put aside our lives in this world. Like Jesus said, who hates their life? I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas said, that's not really, I mean, no one really hates their lives. Otherwise, the suicide rate would be astronomical. Let's face it. But people qualify what they hate and don't hate. You understand what I mean? In other words, what happens is people qualify what they love about their lives. That is the things that they embrace, the things that vie for their time, the things that, that vie for um, their thought process. Jesus broke it down and made it easier by saying, listen, if any one of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. And that's the issue. 
That's the issue this morning. And I think we've heard so much of that from the worship right on through the Word at, at the Lord's Supper is that Jesus needs to be the center of it all. And that center takes us to a place in which we serve and in which we decide to serve. And what what better place, what better means, what better way has Jesus given us than through his church, through his local church, through his body. We are the body of Christ. And in that, you know, we find our meaning and our purpose. Yes, all of us aren't evangelists. Yes, all of us aren't preachers. Yes, all of us aren't teachers. However, all of us are called to serve. All of us are called to serve. Jesus said, if you serve me, where I am, you will be also. I will be your hands and your feet. And that's the message that Jesus has in, in imparted in my life and in my heart to, be, to recall what am I called to? What am I called to? Am I serving? Is my heart into serving? Am I serving my brothers and sisters? Am I serving people in the world? Am I serving the associates that I have in the business world, in society? Am I serving them with the gospel? Am I giving them an opportunity to know Jesus Christ? Or am I choosing and qualifying what makes my life what I want? Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. Gravity wants that grain so much to be in the earth. Gravity wants that seed to enter into those elements, to be broken down so that that, that, that that inner man may grow and flourish and bear fruit. Yeah, this is a hard message. It is a hard message because it takes a decision. It takes an evaluation of your life, of my life. But nonetheless, it is the point in which Jesus said from, that we, and he, most importantly, that he would be glorified, and bear fruit. And let's, let's face it, the only things that are really going to make for glory in our lives are the things that are done for Jesus Christ in eternity. The things that are really going to make for glory for us are the things that are done on the earth, in the earth, through and for Jesus. I want to close right now. I want to ask Pastor Kevin to please come up. Yes, Jesus said this is a hard message. Who can understand it? But nonetheless, Jesus has given us his spirit, his resource to strengthen us, to help us. He has given us so many means for us to be able to be involved in his will and his work, to be about his business. Jesus was always about the Father's business. And if we love him, he, he said, if you love me, you will not only obey my word, obey my word, but you will take up and follow after me. 
Yeah, it's a hard saying. It's a decision that we all need to make to serve to the best of our abilities and then to have a check in our lives as to where we're at. Are we there? Are we perfect? No. No, but God, in his great love and his great mercy for us, is always looking to correct us. You know, Paul in Hebrews said, take those things that are out of place, out of joint, and put them back in place again so that you may walk or run in, in, in the path that you need to go. And you know, it all starts by becoming that, that person whom Jesus wants you to be. And if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, first and foremost, then you, you cannot even enter into that, into that road. You can't even be on that road, I should say, that Jesus wants to lead you in. So I want to give an open invitation for anyone here who's not sure that they know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. That they're not a part of Him and a part of His family. That they're not His. To say this prayer, Jesus said that it was as easy as confessing and forsaking in order to be able to enter into a loving relationship with Him. Isaiah said, it's because of sin that there's a separation between you and your God. And as a result of that, He has hid His face from you. But if you are willing and obedient, you can eat the good of the land. Timothy said, take hold of the eternal life to which you're called when you made the good confession in the presence of witnesses. And Paul went on to say, if anyone confesses Jesus is Lord, believes in his heart, that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're in that place where you're not sure that maybe you've heard the gospel before, and you've never really stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then now is the time for you to be sure. If you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure that you would be in Jesus' presence, that you would be accepted into that place where he said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God? It is this easy. Jesus is the first grain of wheat that fell into the earth and died for us that we may enter into a loving relationship with Him. And if you're at that place, you can repeat after me and Jesus will welcome you into His family. Now I can give you the words, but obviously God looks at the heart. And the words that Jesus has, has, has put together in the Scriptures are are these goes something like this father God I come to you now as a repentant sinner I know that I've sinned against you and I'm sorry I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin 
He was raised from the dead. I'm asking you to reborn me and make me your child. Like you promised in your word. I know that you are faithful and you will do this for me and to me. I thank you for saving me and making me your child. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you said that prayer for the very first time, would you just slip up your hand as a sign to the Lord? You did that for the very first time. Amen. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for those that have made a decision here this morning for you to enter into life, enter into a loving relationship with you, Lord. And now all of their sins have been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness according to your word, Father. And you have welcomed them, cleansed them, made them whole and a new creation in you. I thank you, Father, as there is a rejoicing in heaven by all those, Father, that are there with you as a result of this one or two people or three or four or ten who have come to know you. Now, if you're at that place where you've heard from the Holy Spirit this morning and you need to take stock of what you lack and stock of what you have in Christ and maybe, just maybe, you need to rededicate or recommit yourself to the cause of Jesus, to serving, to His service, to make that decision, to choose to lose your life in those areas in which you held on to, I'd like you to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I've heard from you this morning. I've, I've heard from your word. And your word is tugging at my heart. And Lord, I know that there are areas of my life that I've held on to that need to die so that you may live in and through me. Lord, I want to bear fruit for you. That's why you have created me. Father, I return to you to be just like, just like you were, Lord, that grain of wheat that would spring forth and bear the fruit through me for your glory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's going to bring to conclusion today our service. I want to pray for you and everyone that is here this morning. I hope you heard from Jesus. This is a tough message. It's not an easy message to make a decision to address the things in our areas that need to die. But Jesus has called us to a greater purpose. You know, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back for a bride that is decked and adorned, that love him. He's coming back to an earth that it, he wants to have fruit from. Let us be those people whom he has called us to be. Fruitful, joyful, serving him and each other. Father, I pray your blessing upon all those who have heard your word this morning, Lord. 
Let it go deep inside their spirit, Father. Strengthen, restore, and establish them according to your plan and your purpose, Father. In this place, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Be blessed. Be blessed this morning. Yes, give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah.